Okay, so let's uh, continue in our journey of great Jewish faith. There is a Zemmer on Shabbos, one of the Zmiris that we sing, is uh, described Shabbos as being fenced in by roses. Um, the Lushan of the Zemmer is Kashoshanim Suga. I think it's in the Zemmer of Hashemer Shabbos Abenim Abbas. Anyone ever sing that? Okay, so there is, so it says Kashoshanim Suga, which means that it's hedged in by roses. Shabbos is sort of like uh, fenced in by a, a, a hedge of roses. What does that mean, that Shabbos is fenced in by a hedge of roses? So, Rav Mardachai Gifter, who is Rashiva of Tells, he explains it as follows. He says that, let's say there was a, a hedge of roses. Let's say there was, a, um, you know, let's say in your front yard, in order to, in order to get past, um, you know, from the sidewalk to your house, Either like walk around and uh, and um, you know and get around the hedge of roses, or you could just walk right over it. It's not like that big. It's like let's say the, you know a one foot hedge of roses. I could theoretically step on it and and trample it. It's not like it's a big iron fence that I can't get through. Why wouldn't I? What would stop me from trampling uh, on the hedge of roses to get to the front yard? Hmm? Thorns, okay, that's true. What? The beauty of the rose, exactly. That I, you have to appreciate a rose. If you appreciate, this is a beautiful bush, these are beautiful roses, I don't want to step on it. It's too beautiful for me to destroy it, so I'd rather like walk around it than step over it. That's the only thing that would, uh, that would um, keep a person from walking over the hedge of roses. And this, says of Gifter, is what Shabbos is. Shabbos is theoretically, it's not impossible on a physical level to be Mechal Shabbos. Right? There are many people that do, unfortunately. Why would I not be Mechal Shabbos? What would stop me from, let's say, uh, I don't know, taking out my iPhone on Shabbos and uh, checking my, my text, checking my email? Physically, nothing. I, I could do it. It's easy. It's right by my bed. It's plugged in. I could do it. The only thing that would really prevent me from doing it, besides, of course, fear of God, is the fact that I appreciate the beauty of Shabbos. The beauty of Shabbos keeps it, keeps it's the people that keep Shabbos from not violating it. It's too beautiful. I don't want to destroy it. I could... Theoretically, I could. There's nothing stopping me. But, and people do. The people that do, you know, just pick up their phones on Shabbos and, and text, it's, it, they're not necessarily terrible people. They just don't have an appreciation for what Shabbos is. If they would have been given the appreciation of really what Shabbos is, then they wouldn't step on Shabbos, much like a person that... Maybe a person doesn't care about roses, he doesn't mind stepping on it, but a person that's sophisticated and, and cultured enough to know that this is a rose, a rose is chashab, you don't, you don't just trample on it for nothing. So that, is, um, that would keep us from... So the, it's, it's basically a very important 
uh, Yisait for us to know and, you know, for ourselves. And it's also important for us to know for our children. Uh, I know I'm the only one in this room that I know of that has children, but someday, everybody will have children, believe it or not. And, uh, and when you have children, it's important to remember this because if you make Shabbos for your kids a beautiful time of the week and there's good food and there's good vibes in the house and it's not tense and it's just, uh, and it's a chill and people, and you say Dvar Teres and you sing and you have a, a good time and you say Dvar Teres, so then your children will grow up and hopefully you know, they'll keep Shabbos also and they'll keep Shabbos the way that you kept Shabbos because they, they appreciate the beauty of Shabbos and they appreciate that it is hedged in by roses, that it's so beautiful that I don't want to be the one that destroys it. And the opposite is true also, of course, that if a person, very often kids that go off the Darach and the Mechal Shabbos, they come from very nice homes, but they never maybe were, I'm not generalizing for every case, but very often there's, they, they just didn't feel anything special on Shabbos. Maybe there was tension in the house on Shabbos. Maybe there was fighting. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe uh, just, it was just weird or whatever. And so they don't have anything with Shabbos. So if they don't have anything with Shabbos, so then it's not so much their fault per se. Obviously, you know, everybody has the to do whatever they want, but it's, you almost can't blame people that if they were not given the full beauty of Shabbos, and then you're wondering, hey, how come this, how come they're not so into Shabbos? Uh, that might be, that might be a, a, a place to start your exploration. Okay, let's see another quote. I'll show you, I don't think I showed you the picture of that quote. Let me see if I can find it quickly. Keshmer Shabbos? No, the, where it's, um, oh, it's Hedgin, 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 and it ties in nice with what we were just talking about. I'm sure we all heard of Rabbi Victor Miller. Rabbi Victor Miller was a great Tamil uh, Chacham, a great Tzaddik. Uh, he lived from 1908 to 2001. And he had a... Uh, there are many things to be said about him. He was brilliant. He wrote books on history. He wrote commentaries to the Torah. He wrote... Um, you know, he was very, very deep. His tapes before CDs and, and MP3s were popular, there were tapes. And he was one of the first people to really popularize spreading Torah through the medium of, of a tape. And he, he, had, he would number his tapes, so you can order a specific tape number, and, uh, and many would be like, people would subscribe all over the world. He had a lot of Talmidim. He was like very cutting edge of the time of of spreading today, there's Torah anytime, and all these websites that you know can spread Torah very quickly. But this is a little bit less viral, but it, it was very effective, and um, many people listened to his tapes and uh, gained a lot and considered themselves his talmidim just through 
listening and growing uh, from his, his Das Terah. One of the things that he was well known for was that he had a very uh, palpable and intense love of Hashem. Now, you know, there is a mitzvah in the Torah, we say it every morning and every night, Ve'ahavta es Hashem lekecha, that you're supposed to love Hashem. You're supposed to love Hashem. Did you ever wonder, like, what does that mean? To love, how do you love Hashem? Like, what, you send them a box of chocolates, you uh, send them a Hallmark card, uh, you, you, what does it mean you, to love Hashem? It's a question. I mean, it's an open question how to, be, how to accomplish that mitzvah. It's obviously a feeling. You have to feel love to him, but how do you stimulate that feeling of love? Right? When, when it comes to men and women, there's different ways of, of, of creating a, an experience that you eventually could love and appreciate the other person, but uh, how do you do it? So Ravigna Miller would say that a way of creating a feeling of love for God was by declaring openly, I love you, Hashem. By a person saying, I, you talk to Hashem and you just say to him, I love you, Hashem, that itself is a way to like open up your heart to get the love coursing through your, through your veins in loving Hashem. He says, simply saying those words, even if one does not yet feel it, will lead to a great outpouring of love from him. Sometimes you got to fake it till you make it, right? Sometimes, it, you know, you're... Um, uh, I don't want to bring it too close to, you know, dating, but sometimes uh, if the way that a person uh, moves a relationship forward, let's say it's sort of just like stagnant, it's just like you went out a few times with a girl and like it's just like sort of, you know, it's not moving. So some people say, all right, if it's not moving, it means it's not, you know, can't, we got to dump her and, and find somebody else. Um, but Shadchanim will tell you, I think, and you know, is that if you put yourself out a little bit more, that will create an environment that you, meaning not so much fake it, like you're not supposed to say, you're not saying to the girl you love, but you're like the more you say like, wow, you know, you're amazing, you're, you know, I, I really think that, you know, I think so highly of you, or things like that. If you put yourself out there and you, even if you're not totally there yet, but if you're able to like be very expressive it, 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 it stimulates the heart to move forward and then she thinks that, you know, you're into her and then it goes, and then it, you know, it could build. And Avigdor Miller said that that's sort of what we should be doing when it comes to Hashem. If you speak openly and you say to Hashem, I love you, even if you don't really know that you love Hashem to that degree, but just saying it will itself lead to a great outpouring of love. He was once speaking of this topic at a family bar mitzvah, and he exclaimed, he says, you mean, he was speaking to like the audience, he said, you mean you never once said, I love you, Hashem? No, let's all say together, I love you, Hashem. I know you feel uncomfortable, but do it anyway. It's going to make a difference in your relationship. And that's, that's a very important thing. When we want to be makayim this mitzvah of avas Hashem, of v'yavtas Hashem l'gachot, and in fact, if you think that I'm like flippantly using the relationship of a, the mashal of a man and a woman, the Rambam says that this is what Shlema Melech speaks about in Shir Hashirim. The whole Shir Hashirim, uh, the Song of Songs, was composed by Shlema Melech. And what is it about? It's basically, if you would read it simply, if you would just take out like a, 
a Bible, like a Saint, uh, was a Saint James Bible, a regular, not you know, not Arts Girl Bible. Shirashirim would be almost like a uh, a graphic love love story that you probably would uh, have a hard time reading because you think like this is not from like I'm not I'm not supposed to be reading this right because it speaks about very in graphic detail a relationship between a man and a woman um, with highs with lows with fights with with love and. But really, if you look through at Shirashim through the eyes of Chazal, which is the way Shlomo Melech, of course, intended it, it's not talking about a simple love. Shlomo Melech wasn't writing love stories. Shlomo Melech was writing a story of Klal Yisrael and Hashem. So it was a mushal of a man and a woman, but it's symbolizing the relationship, the unique relationship between Klal Yisrael and Hashem and the love that we have for each other. And he says, this is what Shlomo Melch meant in Shir Shirim, that, that I am lovesick for you, Hashem. This is what uh, a person is supposed to, uh, a person that's in love with Hashem is supposed to feel. He uses the mashal, the Ram, he says, just like if a person is infatuated with a girl. So he, all he does all day is think about this girl when he wakes up in the morning, when he goes to sleep at night, when he's eating, when he's... Whatever he's doing, he's playing ball, he's always like in the back or the front of his mind, he's thinking about that girl. That's what, and more so, he says, even more than that, is what a person that's, that has love for Hashem, always thinking about Hashem. You wake up in the morning, Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. You go to sleep at night, thank you, Hashem. You're eating, you make a bracha, but you're always thinking... On, a, on some level about Hashem. That's Avas Hashem. But the way Ravigda Miller would advise to, to bring this out is by saying it. I love you, Hashem. And he would start off his shirim, and I've heard Talmidim of his. It's like, almost like a mantra. Like, I love you, I love you, I love you, Hashem. Like, you know, like, just like, the more that you're able to say it, even though it feels like a little weird, like you're talking to God, you're saying, I love you. But that's the way, that's the way we're going to be able to uh, to stimulate and to really launch our love with Hashem. This is the uh, the picture. I found a, I found a picture of I Love You, which is, you know, at first the people at art school were not crazy about me using this because it seems like a little bit like too... I, I did not put it on the cover. Originally it was supposed to even be on the cover. Yeah, it looks, but the saving grace is that the picture happened to have a capital Y. If it would have been a lowercase y, that would have been, I love you, it's probably a guy skywriting to a girl or something. But uh, the capital Y makes it look more religious. It makes it look like you're talking to Hashem. So that's what I use in the Surah Miller, of course. Okay, let's do one more. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Um... Why would you think that the Torah forbids one from taking revenge? It says, Leisikam, Leisitu, you're not supposed to take revenge. Somebody does something really bad to you, somebody, uh, I don't know, he, um, he tattles on you to, you know, to, the, to your Rebbe that you did something wrong and you want to get him back, so you want to, you know, or whatever you want. He messed you up somehow. Um, so the Torah says, no, 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 don't, don't take revenge. Don't take revenge. Why would you think, is there a rationale for why 
if you, if we don't have to understand reasons for mitzvahs, but like if you were to try to divine why Hashem would want you not to take revenge, what would it be? What would the reason be? It wastes a lot of time. What? It wastes a lot of time. It wastes a lot of time to take revenge. Okay. Right. So you guys are like a step ahead. I, I, I would have said, you know, I would have said on a simple level that it's just not, it's not, it's not, um, all it's going to do is just make machlekas and claw yourself. If I, if I take revenge every time you do something wrong to me, you step on my foot, I step on your foot, then you're going to smack me, I'm going to smack you. And then, like, before you know it, it's just going to be constant, you know, constant problems. Like in business, you know, you, uh, you snitched on the IRS to, about my taxes and I'm going to do it to you and then your, your kids are going to go do it to my kids, my kids. It's just going to get crazy, so just stop. Like, just like... Just be the man, you know, just rise to the occasion and don't take revenge. Just, it's not, um, you know, it's going to ratchet up tension and strife amongst Chal Yisrael. But the Sefer HaChinuch, which is the go-to Sefer, it's on the Tyreg Mitzvahs, the 613 Mitzvahs. We know that there are 613 Mitzvahs. That's a given. The Gemara speaks about that at the end of Mesechus Makas, meaning that's not negotiable. We know there are 613 Mitzvahs. The question that we don't know is, what are they? And to get to that magic number, there are many different rabbis that wrote classical works to try to figure out what it is. So the Rambam has his list, and the Smag, the Sefer Mitzvah's Gadol, has his list, and the Chinuch has his list. The Chinuch goes a lot with the Rambam, but the Sefer Chinuch is the class, and so he brings the Mitzvah, he brings all six of them, and then he adds something really cool, the Sefer Chinuch, and that he's, he says, Misharish HaMitzvah. What's the understanding of behind the mitzvah? He actually gives us a rationale for why Hashem is not that he's saying this is the reason. There might be a million reasons, you know, why to blow a shaifer and why to shake a lulav and why not to speak lashnara. There could be a lot of different reasons, but he gives us a reason or maybe more than one reason. He calls it the sherish HaMitzvah, the root of the mitzvah. What is the reason behind the rationale for Hashem commanding us? So, when it comes to this mitzvah of this this avera, I should say of nekama, he says like you guys were saying. He says that everything that happens to a person, and this is so important for us to remember, because it's hard to really actualize, but this is the truth. Whatever happens to us, whether good or bad, comes upon me from Hashem. Therefore. When someone causes another person pain or suffering, it was actually God who decreed that those woes come upon him to atone for his sins. It therefore makes no sense to take revenge upon the person who wronged you, for that person was, in fact, not the cause of your suffering. It's a very hard thing to understand, because what do you mean he's not the cause? He is the cause of my suffering. He, uh, you know, I, I, he, uh, I don't know. I just got a brand new car, and I saw on a video that he keyed up the side of my car, or he broke a window of, of my house, or he, uh, I don't know, I know that he, uh, he spoke terrible, terrible about me, caused me to lose my job, or got me kicked out of yeshiva. What, things happen. I mean, you know, so you're saying that that wasn't him, it was God? No, it was him. I, I saw him do it. Yeah, he did do it. It's true. He was the, but he was just like the, the instrument of Hashem to make it happen. If something happens to us, if we, if we have a bad thing that happens to us, don't blame the person who it seems is the direct cause 
Because everything in life comes from Hashem. Everything. Good, bad, everything in between, whatever happens to us is because Hashem wants this to happen to us. But Hashem uses different people. Now again, it's a hard thing to, so it means he's a tzaddik. He keyed up my car, but he's a tzaddik. Like I have to go now and get it repaired for $3,000. And But God doesn't, no one said he's a tzaddik. He had obviously the choice, like Parah had the choice. Parah didn't, Hashem wanted a nation to enslave Klai Yisrael for, for hundreds of years. And no one asked Parah to be the, to be the guy to volunteer for the job. He volunteered. He got in big trouble. But at the end of the day, Hashem wanted that to happen. Hashem, Hashem decided that we should go down to Egypt for a couple hundred years and be slaves. That wasn't because of power. If it wasn't power, somebody else would have done it. And the same thing is true for anything that happens in our personal life. If, let's say, you're going out with a girl and, and somebody you know, says something really bad to the girl about you, and, and she next date she says, you know, we can't go out anymore, I heard terrible things about you, and you go back to the guy you want to slug him, and, you want to, and, and it's really bad. Hashem did not want you to marry that girl. Aye, but, you know, but, okay, fine, but, but why does this guy have to be such a... That's a different story. But don't, by taking revenge against that guy, what you're doing is you're saying that it wasn't Hashem, it was him. And that's undermining the power of Hashem in the world. Because Hashem, you have to, and this is, again, I'm not saying this is an easy thing to do. It's really hard to separate the fact that we believe that Hashem is in charge, but then we also have to deal with human beings. We also have to deal with people that we work with, that we live with, that we daven with, that we, you know, and sometimes they're really nice to us. Sometimes they're not nice to us. If they're not nice to us, then doing something that's really not, that's, that's bad, yeah, I want to I get revenge against them. And revenge is sweet. But the terrorist says, don't do it. Because if you don't do it, then you will gain so much more and that Hashem will see that you believe in Him, that you understand that everything is ultimately from Him. And you're avoiding, you're not getting into, you're not falling into the trap that everybody else does by slugging the, like Rebbe Chan Wasserman used to say that when you, uh, let's say there's a dog and you throw a stick at the dog. A dog doesn't have the understanding of, of realizing that you threw a stick at him, so he should be coming and pouncing on you. What does he do instead? He pounces on the stick. The stick that hit him in the head, it starts like jumping on the stick. He doesn't realize that, you know, that the stick didn't do anything. The stick is just a stick. Hashem was the one, the, 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 own, the person who threw the stick, he should be the one that, that, that really, you know, the dog understands is the cause of his problems. And Lahavdil, that's what it's like with us and Hashem. Like when there's a guy that comes and does something bad to us, embarrasses us, or causes us financial loss, we tend to like right away jump on the stick. And it's not the stick. It's really Hashem is the one that, you know, and you could take this on a very far level, um, you know, just, you know, again, it's a little, it's a little, I guess, difficult to talk about it because we're in the, in the moment right now. But like, you know, what happened on Simchas Torah, with Hamas. Now, Hamas are Risham, they have to be uprooted, they have to be... But if you think that it was all Hamas, and Hashem had nothing to do with it, Hashem was, you know, sleeping at the wheel, and Hamas just came, and he just... Uh, that, that's not... That's, that's the wrong Hashkafa. The Hashkafa of the Torah is that whatever happened to us was because Hashem wanted it to happen. 
if the Holocaust happened, we don't know why the Holocaust happened, but one thing we do know is that Hashem made a decree that this should happen. Hitler has no power, and, and, and Hamas has no power, if not, if Hashem doesn't allow something to happen. Hashem could have stopped it from happening. If he allowed it to happen, that doesn't mean to say that Hamas are, you know, shouldn't be, you know, that we shouldn't deal with them. You have to deal with them, obviously. But, but if the whole lesson of, of Simchas Torah is, okay, that we, militarily we fell asleep and now we have to get revenge, we have to make sure this doesn't happen again, you're missing the point. That's not the point. The point is there's a God in the world, Hashem allowed this to happen, there's no other rhyme, there's no rational reason. Wait, Israel knows, you see how their technology is so, so they know every single person in that Gaza Strip. They know exactly who's the, who's the head of the tank unit and who's the head of the, the Navy unit. And who, they know every single guy in the, whole, in the whole Gaza Strip. They didn't know that they were planning an attack against us of, on this scale, that 2,000 people are going to come into Israel. And, and they, they didn't. They didn't know, apparently. But that's not the point. The point is that how did it happen? It happened because Hashem allowed it to happen. Hashem is sending us a message and we have to, we have to daven, we have to do tshuva, we have to learn more, whatever it is that we have to do, each person on their own level, but it's not, don't, taking the revenge element is, is the least of it. If the whole takeaway is, okay, now we're going to get back at Hamas, then we're, we're that dog that's jumping on the stick. That's not what the takeaway lesson. The takeaway lesson is that there's Hashem in the world. He's in charge, and we should not be so arrogant to think that we could, you know. And and what kills me about this whole the war that I'm following, as I'm sure you are, like very very daily, you know, daily and many times a day, is that the you know the the generals and the uh, the heads of the army and the defense department they never mention anything about Hashem. So we're, our forces are superior. Our forces are going to show Hamas. We're going to teach them a lesson that the, you can't you can't invoke Hashem's name once. You can you can't say that with Hashem's help we're going to like just say it once. Just say it. Say it before the whole war. You know, be, be somebody say. You know, the soldiers are saying it. They're putting on tzitzis. They're davening. They're they're dancing. They're singing. They're being makabel Shabbos. And but the the you know they don't get it. They don't understand that the whole point of this war is that there's a God in the world, Hashem woke us up to make us feel vulnerable because we were getting arrogant. We were thinking that, you know, everything is coming to us. We're a powerful army, powerful this, and we, we're, we're invincible. And we, and we see that we're not. We're fragile. We're in Gullahs. And the enemies can attack us when they want to, at their will, if Hashem allows that. And so the tshuva of that is we have to remember that there is a God, and then the soldiers and everyone in Eretz Israel, I think many people are closing B'tshuva now, they're putting on tefillin, they're davening, they're saying Shema, Shabbos, because they get it. But it's a shame that the higher-ups don't, if they get it, they're not saying it publicly. Maybe it doesn't look good on the public stage to, to talk about God, it makes them sound like you know some fanatic or whatever, and I'm sure maybe there's a cheshman, but that is the bottom line. The bottom line is the revenge against Hamas is the, is the, is the least... Part of it, the the least takeaway is that, and the the biggest part of it is to is to come back to Hashem and to recognize that He's in control. Oh, that's a very good. Yeah. Why why is that an exception? By the time he gets to the end of the he's allowed to. Yeah. And I'm so curious because you're not allowed to revenge, but in that case, yeah. why? Yeah, well, the, I, the, that's a great question. There, the Torah 
the Torah permits the Gaila Adam to take revenge. I don't know exactly, I don't know the answer to that, but there was, but there is another, I thought you were alluding to this, that there's an Arachayim HaKadosh that says that if, a, that there's one time that Hashem, that something happens and it doesn't necessarily mean that Hashem wants it. And that's if a person goes and takes somebody else's life. Let's say I go and I, this is a very big philosophical question. If let's say I go and uh, just, I take out a gun and I just shoot some random person in the supermarket. Person was healthy, everything was fine. Does that mean that Hashem wanted that to happen? Or does it mean that I have the free choice to override that? The Archaim HaKadosh says, and he brings a Rai, I think it's in Bible. How would be Hamas to us, no? What? How would be Hamas to us? That would, that would just go against the way, no? So, so, so the Archaim says that, that a person, that then, maybe, I, mean, I don't know. Could be. Could be. What? But he's saying it's on after Midian did. Uh, yeah, no, the, it's. Yeah, I mean, we definitely find precedence in the Torah to take revenge against people that Amalek and people that do bad to us, because you have to. If you don't take revenge, sometimes, at least nationally, you know, you'll, you're 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 done. You you have to be able to retaliate. That's not. If you would just say Hamasari says Lesikam, we're 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 not going to touch you. That's not a good idea, obviously, but. My point is that that's not the, the yeah. point, that we get obsessed with a stick and we forget about the Hashem who threw the stick at us to wake us up, to galvanize us, to do tshuva, to get, take personal lessons, and that is very, very important to, uh, to remember. As we're going tomorrow on the buses or whatever, you know, to Washington, don't start getting, you know, into the idea that this is going to, this we need to do this because politically this, we're going because this is what Klai Yisrael is is doing and it's it's hopefully will will be but it's not it's not if we're thinking that we're politically trying to like you know fix things or whatever and get back and that, that's not the right that's not I wouldn't waste a day on that that's not that's not the right thing to do okay.